your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that prorogues all others Sponsored by the Cigarette Advertising Board We'll be back after Brexit Hi, uh, we are here for... I've actually researched the episode number, guys. I know. Well done. Um, Stick around. Just stick around again. Episode 139. Woo! Wow. That's a lot of hours. We're not getting back. It's a lot of hours. Yeah, we've wasted a lot of time. (laughs) That makes me feel better that Clive has wasted much more of that time since he has to edit it. Yeah. This is true. I dread to think. (laughs) Jesus Christ, I've completed about 70 Red Deads, or I could have completed Red Dead about 70 times in the same time, I imagine. Um, we're here to talk about just general stuff, pop culture, all that jazz. Um, how have we been? Let's go to James Flux first, because uh, we've not had, according to my Skype, we've not conversed for a year, which I can't believe is true. But Yeah, no, I think I think it's because I had two Skypes and there was some confusion. Oh, right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I'm very well met, very well. It's good, good to be been back. up to much? Um, no, you know the usual, the usual work, work and gaming. That's uh, <laughs> good. That Got something life. to talk about, uh, Mr. Wayne. How have you been the last week? I am pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I'll, I'm going to go back to before I talk about myself. I want to go back to Flux. Uh, Flux, do you do you still work out of the Bolton Wanderers Stadium? Yes, I do, mate. Yeah, yeah. So how is that? How how is <laughs> their their impending doom or recently rescued doom affected you? Um, do you know what? It hasn't particularly, other than seeing protesters and things outside, which has been entertaining. Mainly on my way home from work, you see, see like tons of like cameras for all the Sky News reports and like protesters and those sorts of things with their scarves out. Have they mistaken you for one of the administrators? <laughs> they, have, they have not. Oh, I wish that would happen. For, fortunately, not. <laughs> Let's lynch him. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, but back to back to me. Yeah, I'm great, Clive. Um, Good. B- busy social schedule as usual. Um, it's well, good. you're such a social man. Uh-huh, I am. Yeah, I've got the last of five weddings that I've been to inside of oh, a few months in yeah. next weekend. So then I'm pretty much done. I'm not leaving the house until after Christmas. I don't blame you. I think I've had three weddings this year. But um, yeah, also, also at the end, um, we're a week. Uh, we've, we've t- I know some of you are thinking, oh, well, you thought I thought you were back, but you've already taken a week off. That's because uh, I was at Shambhala, which is a festival. It's basically a hippie free for all rage, rage, rave festival. Um, so yeah, good times were had. Um, James Cable was there too, but he's not made it this morning because he's slept in. He says, uh, I can't think of anything that happened that I want to talk about there. Um, yeah, because oh, right. everyone knows what happens stays at the festival, right? That's... Yeah, that happened. Um, <laughs> we'll stick with that story. Um, it was really bloody hot, though. Um, and I'd like to give a shout-out to Shambhala Festival for being the tidiest festival around. Um, you know, at the end of festivals, like, for example, Leeds or just any, any bloody festival, when you leave, there's just, like, tents lying around, rubbish everywhere. Yeah. Not Shambhala. We were leaving. The only rubbish was right next to people who were still packing up. Everything else was like immaculate, and I'm not even joking. Not a single tent, no rubbish on the floor. So my faith in humanity was restored a little bit. Wow. Just, just a little bit. So it sounds like it was a combination of uh, hippies and, you know, neat freaks. Or is that what a hippie <laughs> is nowadays? Uh, well, I guess it's... Yeah, maybe hippies just care about the environment, so I guess that... Their tents might have been, like, super messy. But yeah. they wouldn't leave anything lying behind on the grass. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, yeah, that's pretty impressive. I'm pretty sure this year, Glastonbury, uh, about 99% of the tents got taken for once. After a, Oh, had, okay, that's pretty good. They had some policy, I think, where um, <clears throat> people got fined if they left the tents and it was proven, but... Um, oh, okay. Because you did used to get people at festivals who just buy a tent for a festival... And then mm-hmm. couldn't be bothered to pack it up and just left it there. Yeah. Which is ridiculous, considering how much they cost as well. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can get like others. I saw one in Tesco the other day for like twelve quid, but it's obviously going to be a, a bit shite. Whereas uh, James Cable had an absolute beast of a tent. It was beautiful. Um, but anyway, we'll, uh, well, let's get cracking. Al, let's go to you first. What have you got for us first? Okay, well, I'm going to be talking about the, the big cinematic release, really. Um, shame Michael Johnson isn't here for this one, because I know he'll have some opinions. He may express them in the next podcast. Um, it's the latest, and officially speaking, the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, starring a huge array of stars, including uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, uh, Emile Hirsch, Margaret Qualley, Timothy Oliphant, Austin Butler, Dakota Fanning, Bruce Dern, Al Pacino, probably others I'm missing there, actually. Um, oh, Kurt Russell as well. Um, essentially, this is a um, Karen Tarantino's kind of ode to old Hollywood. So it's set within six months at the end of the 1960s, uh, which is ostentatiously the end of the classic Hollywood era. Um, it follows uh, Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his stuntman, Cliff, who's played by Brad Pitt. Um, they are essentially on their way out. So they used to be a big, a big star of a Western TV show that they gave up to try and go for movies. Didn't really work out. And now Hollywood seems to be kind of pushing them into, you know, guest appearances as TV villains. And the other half of the story uh, follows Margot Robbie's Sharon Tate, who obviously in real life was famously murdered while pregnant by the Manson family. Um, it's a strange one, really, this. Um, I think, if I'm honest, and I think most people thought this, the idea of Tarantino making a film about the Manson family, which is how it was initially pitched, um, kind of led to a little bit of horror, you know, in the sense that this could be quite exploitative, but refreshingly, it's not actually. Um, just like in the world of Inglorious Bastards, in the world of Django Unchained, this is Tarantino's very special brand of revisionist history. So what he wanted to have happened, essentially. Um, while it bears quite a lot of resemblance to what happened in real classical Hollywood, Nothing is quite the same. So, for example, in a quite quite a well-discussed scene, um, Brad Pitt's Cliff Booth has a fight with Bruce Lee, um, which did not happen and has caused a lot of controversy, but um, this is Tarantino kind of doing whatever the fuck he wants, really. Um, the ending, which I won't spoil, um, will absolutely divide people, um, as with a lot of Tarantino. Um, personally, I loved it. Um but it wouldn't surprise me if any one of the other people on this podcast hated the ending, so we'll see. Um, I think in general, you've, you've got to say, the majority of the film is surprisingly tender for, for Tarantino. He um, is kind of looking at an era that he obviously massively holds you know, dear to his heart. And he, he kind of lovingly looks it over. I mean, his direction is actually not that similar to anything he's done before. Uh, lots of shots from afar, from above, taking in the, the scenery. And um, most of it is kind of a love letter, but then it kind of almost splurges into his classic revenge tale, if you like. Um, my opinion is that this is... I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was a great cinematic experience. Although, as usual, um, it could have lost about half an hour and... I was going to say being just as good, but possibly better, actually. Uh, there's definitely some filler in this, which feels like Tarantino wanking down the camera lens. But, um, <laughs> you know, all in all, you know what you're getting in for. I mean, when Tarantino signed the deal for this film, he got extraordinarily easy creative control. So aside from getting something in the region of $50 million, sorry, $100 million to spend on it, 25% of the box office take. He also got a deal which said that uh, producers couldn't edit any of his work, uh, which never happens. But it's only because he's one of the very few auteurs still working in Hollywood. Um, I would have liked to have seen him giving up maybe even 10% of the cut just to tighten this up a little bit. Um, it's baggy as fuck, but um, it was really, really entertaining. Um, I think it did have quite a lot to say about that era of Hollywood, actually, in, in the sense that um, DiCaprio's character, Rick Dalton, is 
he's not a bad guy at all, actually. I mean, he's, he's got his drinking problems. He's a bit of an idiot, but he's um, he's kind of being farmed out of Hollywood. And um, yeah, I, th- I thought he had a lot more to say than a lot of his films. Uh, am I am I alone in seeing this, or have you seen it, Clive? I've not seen it now. I want to, but I've not gone to cinema since last time, so haven't seen it now. Will you see it, do you think? Um, yeah, I think I will, yeah. D- definitely when it comes out on streaming and stuff, but hopefully before that. <laughs> it's worth seeing at the cinema, I'd say that. It is quite visually quite special. Um, James James Flux, have you seen this or any interest? No, again, I, I want to see it, but um, I haven't got round to it as yet. Okay. I mean, the... <sighs> The Sharon Tate side of the story is kind of much discussed in the sense that um, originally the the te- because it's obviously about a real person who was horrifically murdered. Um, her family were initially quite against it, but having seen the script, changed their mind, and I can see why. Actually, she is. I mean, uh, there's one scene in this film, minor spoilers, where she goes to see one of her own pictures, which is just a kind of a daft screwball comedy. And um, it's probably the heart of the film, actually, just watching her kind of not so much enjoying her own work, but enjoying the fact that other people are enjoying it Um, because she was she was a young Hollywood star at the time. Um, She hadn't really had a big break and she was mainly doing kind of light, fluffy material. But, um, you know, she was murdered in her prime, really. Um, And I think like this is pretty much like a nostalgic, dewy eyed kind of take on an era that Tarantino himself didn't get to exist in, but probably would have liked to, although he wouldn't have been able to do any of his films in that era at all. Um, Like I said, my only major criticism is that it could have been so much um, shorter and probably better for it. Um, But, I mean... It's Tarantino. He he does what he likes. Like I said, this is (laughs) officially his ninth film, uh, although if you count Kill Bill as split into two, it's his tenth. He doesn't, to be precise. Um, yeah, I mean, allegedly he's got one more. He promised to do ten pictures and then go. Um, this feels like it could have been his final film, actually. It's almost a bit of a shame. I mean, I, I've no idea what he'll do next, but um, this feels like a nice send-off, if you like. Um, who knows? I mean, uh, the film has got some criticism for... Um, for not giving Margot Robbie's Sharon Tate that much dialogue. Although, personally, I think you can have representation without dialogue as well, and she's certainly in enough of the movie. And, like I said, I don't think the movie's ever exploitative, which is a good thing, considering it's based on a real murder. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, there's one one scene that's not been talked about critically, as far as I'm aware, but I'm going to bring note to. Probably the best dog dog feeding scene I've ever seen on film. Maybe the only one. But, um, <laughs> okay. Um, quite, quite a claim. I, I'll spoil the shot for you. Basically, he uh, opens up the can of dog food, which is raccoon flavored, by the way, um, <laughs> and he takes off the kind of the the metal ring pull, and he just holds it upside down, and watching the entire kind of can of dog food sliding gradually out of the tin. Is both disgusting and a work of art. Um, <laughs> yeah, watch out for that. Um, I'm really interested to hear Michael's views on this. I, I know I'm pretty confident he was a fan. We we saw it together, but um, I'm interested to know if he if he agrees with me entirely on this one. Like I said, not his not his best film. Although there's, I feel like with an edit, this could have possibly been up there. Um, hmm. I, for for me, it was a vast improvement on the Hateful Eight, which. I liked, but didn't feel was really all that great. Um, but yeah, highly recommended. And it, it it is a cinema film, so if you do get a chance, it, it's worth your time. Awesome, cool. Sounds good, yeah. I'll definitely be checking it out, because I do like Tarantino. Oh, it sounds interesting that he seems to have, I guess, reined himself in a little bit here. I guess he had to. <laughs> well... Um, I, don't, I don't know if he has exactly. He's reined himself in on certain aspects, but I'm assuming there's. I mean, because he has a habit in past films, I think, where it's not outrageous, and then there'll be one um, thing. Is a good example of this. What's the uh, one with Jamie Foxx in? 
Uh, Django and Django. Yeah, that it's like doesn't start. It's, it starts off pretty standard Tarantino, and then uh, there's like a scene that just goes. It just goes completely off the chain. Um, and I think oh. that's a factor of a few of his films. I'm assuming that doesn't happen in this film. What do you mean, <laughs> violent off the chain? You mean? Yeah, violent off the chain, oh, blood no, everywhere. No no. no, no, no. This is exactly the same. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry to spoil that for you, but yeah, I, was okay, say, I well, love uh, the tone right. in Chloe's voice when he went. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, no. yeah. Tarantino doing his thing again. Um, oh, yeah. Tiger don't change its. I was going to say spots there, uh, stripes, but you know, um, I would say he's re- he's reined himself in in the sense that the majority of the feel, film feels like, for the most part, it's set in the real world. Um, okay. As in, although the characters do still have a habit of all sounding like they're speaking with Tarantino's mouth, um, <laughs> the world the world itself is not. Not as uh, I don't know what what I'd call it, but not as Tarantino esque as you, you might fear. Possibly the ending is, but um, but yeah, he I think he's both simultaneously reined himself in and then let himself off the leash in in certain areas. I mean, the the fight that um, Brad Pitt's character has with Bruce Lee is, in my opinion, a mistake. Um, that's one of the prime examples of a part you could have taken out of the film and improved mm. it, in my opinion, but. It doesn't ruin it for me, but... Cool, cool. Right, well, uh, I'm not going to be rude, but I'm going to go next purely because uh, Flux has just got one thing, so I think it makes sense to have a, a sort of... Flux is the, the contents of a sort of Clive Alex sandwich. Flux is... Um, what, not for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what filling would you be in a sandwich, Flux? What would you say suits you best? Um, I'm the tomato in a BLT. That's just that sharpness, that refresher. The worst bit. <laughs> okay. The worst <laughs> bit. Lettuce is clearly the worst bit in a BLT, mate. Yeah, that's true. Well, lettuce is been... the worst bit in every sandwich it is in, frankly. You could have been the bacon, though, which is obviously the best bit. Well, yeah, but I'm. But you know, you're Clive's the bread. You're the bacon. I'm the tomato. <laughs> Clive, <laughs> Clive holds it all together. Obviously, yeah. You're you're what the people come for. I'm, <laughs> I'm the refresher in the middle, mate. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll take that. I mean, you've you've, you've sold it. You've sold it. Um, okay, right. Well, I'm going to talk about. I'm going to start by talking about Apollo 11, which there seems to have been a lot of Apollo 11 related stuff, or at least two Apollo 11 related things in the last couple of years. Because it was First Man last year, which I liked with um, Ryan Gosling, um, and it took me a while to realise that this wasn't the same thing. Um, but it's a it's a documentary. It's basically a documentary made of never before seen uh, footage and audio recordings um, about the Apollo Eleven moon mission. Pretty much, that's a, that's essentially how you can summarise it. Um, I went to see this a few weeks ago, and it's a documentary, obviously, but it's quite weird in its um, format. So it doesn't have any. There's no talking heads. There's no kind of voiceovers, except for there's voiceovers from audio from the time sometimes when something's happening but um there's never there's never any talking heads and never anything from the present day going in and no, no one kind of sequencing things beside the film itself visually if you know what i mean so it, it goes very it goes through the mood mission in a very sort of sequential manner um and just kind of puts you in the place of loads of these things so it'll, uh, at the start it's kind of with the crowds just watching the the rocket arrive in and the astronauts kind of being put onto the um buses and being taken to the thing and then it'll cut to maybe like the uh the ugh, what's bloody called the, you know the launch center whatever you want to call it with, with everyone sat on the computer uh, space stuff control space control yeah um get cuts to there with them doing some stuff and then um it will there'll be sort of there's not really ever any interviews even of the people at the time it's just kind of you'll see them talking and kind of doing this you know doing their job talking to buzz and uh, and neil and stuff through the through the comms but there's never like a direct interview from what i remember um and the footage is it looks absolutely gorgeous so, so uh, imagining they've because obviously um this is what 69 was it the moon landing uh yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it don't know. It feels almost like it's been restored to some extent. It feels that clear and uh, like just yeah. It looks st- stunningly like the clarity of it is really really impressive. <laughs> um, I don't know whether they've restored it or anything like that, or whether this was just lying around in this good quality. Um, but yeah, it's, there's there's absolutely tons and tons of footage, and I really like the way it doesn't um, have a, have a voiceover or talking heads. It really like it more than 
any documentary, you could probably say it's a bit less gripping just because of the fact that you know exactly what's going to happen. Everyone knows what happens in the Apollo 11 moon landings. Um, and there isn't much kind of pomp and circumstance added over the top in terms of music and stuff to make to add tension to certain bits. There is a bit of that uh, and where, where it's done, it's work, it, it works and it's because it's done sparingly. But that it doesn't try to, you know, a lot of documentaries often try and throw in like a a, a sort of curveball and they lead you up the wrong path for a bit and then you're like, oh, fucking hell, I didn't see that coming. Uh, and that's kind of how it hooks you in. This hooks you in just because you feel like you're there. Um, it looks, you know, when it's in space, the space control, you feel like you're there. When you, you feel like you're with the crowd, um, just because there isn't that voiceover to kind of take you out and make, remind you that you're actually just watching a film. Um, it's, yeah, I really, really love that about it. And obviously the the sort of fo- the quality of the footage and what they've got to handle gets worse and worse as they go up into space because obviously there wasn't um, <laughs> the the filming and stuff wasn't as good up there they didn't they didn't do as much of it because they weren't going to carry around shit loads of equipment um, but the the way they kind of put that in is is great um, and that's where the music comes in a little bit more and but it it really works and the whole I don't know just a really enjoyable like ninety minutes of cinema I really really loved it it was certainly one of the best things I've seen this year and. I would highly recommend it just because I think it is a unique... I can't think of any other documentary that kind of does it like this, um, which might be just because it might have got away with it just because it is, it's quite a simple story, really, isn't it? It doesn't need all that much explaining, and people do know what happened anyway. So, and, But I don't know, I just think the way they've kind of explained each step using stuff from the actual time and conversations that aren't directly explaining what's happening, but... Are just are just what's happening, and you can figure it out. Um, is is really clever, and I think the whole thing is just super immersive and great. And particularly the the launch scene was, yeah, just massive. It just sounded so loud in the cinema, and uh, really really put you there. So yeah, Apollo Eleven, I would highly recommend. It. I didn't, I don't think I've mentioned who uh, directed it. Uh, Todd Douglas Miller is the guy who directed it. Who I don't know what else he's done. I'll have a quick gander. Um, Dinosaur Thirteen, apparently, and that's it. Yeah, interesting. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to see this one, actually, but I'm not sure it was on anywhere near me. Um, and I feel like I have had my fill of kind of space-related drama recently, albeit, obviously, this is a real thing. But um sounds like it hooked you in a way that, even though you know exactly what's going to happen, um, you, were, you were going with it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Well, it felt it was just weird being able to see something um, from the past and that you've heard so much about, but in such like clarity that you felt like you were there. Just like seeing a Buzz and Neil like walking up and being able to just see them, you know, more clearly than I ever have, <laughs> as if they were in the bloody room with me. Uh, it was kind of weird being able to do that for something that happened so long ago. Um, yeah, it was really kind of a unique experience. I really enjoyed it, and it's probably I can't imagine there's many other historical events that have this much footage just lying around. So. And how repeatable this is, but it's um, <laughs> it was yeah really great and definitely completely different to what I expected going in, but in a in a very positive way. Excellent, um, Flux. Have you seen this at all? Uh, no, I haven't. Met, no, but um, obviously it, it's with it being the 50th anniversary. There's been a lot of stuff, but it sounds like this isn't just oh yeah, let's whack something out for the anniversary. It sounds like it's uh, it's actually a really interesting documentary. So yeah, it definitely is. I mean, um, are there any conspiracy theorists among us today? Anybody think that Stanley Kubrick um, filmed the moon landings in London? Anybody? <laughs> oh, it's supposed yeah. to be uh, Burbank, California, isn't it? Isn't oh, that, was it? Sorry. Where, isn't, yeah. yeah, isn't that okay. where it's supposed to have... Uh... I, know, I know it was supposed to have been Stanley Kubrick. Because um... <laughs> they'd, they'd seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> well, That's realistic. Genuinely true. If anyone could do it... You know, it would be him, but um, no. <laughs> the best part, the best thing I've ever heard about that conspiracy theory is someone saying that Stanley Kubrick uh, tried to sneak things into his films to let them know that he's done it. And that when he did The Shining, the all of uh, all work and no play was actually A11 for Apollo 11. Until, <laughs> some, <laughs> until someone pointed out, we, yeah, but... He might have directed it, but he didn't write it, mate. Stephen King book was already written long before. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Like, they will make up absolutely anything. <laughs> oh, man. 
I wish I was a conspiracy theorist in a way. I mean, I'd know it would make me an idiot, but, um, you know, it must be nice thinking, you know, oh, I know the truth and nobody else does. I mean, although <laughs> it does appear that we live in a world where increasingly that's the case, but um, no, I just, it's boring. I just believe it happened because of the mountains of evidence. Um, yeah. Boring. Yeah, bloody happened, didn't it? Yeah. When are we going to send someone else into space? It's been ages. Well, we have sent people into space since then. Well, well I mean, you know, doing something exciting. Yeah, well, it'd be Mars next, wouldn't it? Yeah, good. Boring. <laughs> I look forward to uh, the, the, the film about Mars. Getting uh, that day when I'm there. dead. <laughs> there is a there's a film coming out uh, in about two weeks' time called Ad Astra, um, which is a Brad Pitt film, which has been getting rave reviews from what I've seen. Um, check out the trailer. Um, so we're getting another space-related movie. Looks really good. Just thought I'd mention oh, cool. it v- vaguely in connection with this. Yeah, I love a good space uh, space movie, so I'll be uh, popping down to see that. But um, let's go to Flux. Flux, what is the, the one gem that you've got to make our sandwich refreshing? Uh, <laughs> well, so this is a game that I've been playing absolutely tons of, and it's why it's probably the only game I'm going to talk about, because it's all I've played. Um, and that is uh, Apex Legends, uh, developed by Respawn Entertainment and published by EA. Um, it's a battle royale game in the kind of style of Fortnite and player unknown battlegrounds and those games that are sort of coming to the fore very much recently. Um, but rather than the kind of typical uh, free for all style or um, squad based, but everyone's the same, the kind of unique element of Apex is that you drop in a squad of three but of characters that have special abilities that you pick at the beginning um, and that kind of adds another level of strategy to the game um, which which I'll discuss. Um, like I say as a kind of standard battle royale game it's you're dropping from a ship into a map where you have no weapons you scavenge and try and survive um, whilst the map gets smaller and smaller with the aim to be the last squad standing effectively. Um, each character that you can select kind of has unique skills which either help that character or help your squad at large or a mix of both. Um, and the they did bring out a solo mode for a while um, but that has now ended and, and the kind of squad based um Gameplay is is now the only way of playing. Um, The model is uh, kind of standard loot box freemium in that the game is free to download and play. Um, You can um, pay to unlock certain um, characters and certain skins, but if you continue to play, you will unlock those in due course anyway. Um, I've never paid to unlock a character and I've now got them all unlocked. Um, and, and didn't feel like, oh, I really need to have that character to be good or anything like that. The characters are really well balanced. Um, as it's EA, there has been some controversy about the pricing schemes and the like. And you can see numerous pods in our back catalogue about that point. Um, but I'm, I must admit that generally speaking, it's actually not that bad for this. I've, Like I said, I've played tons um, and I didn't pay any money during the first season and then during the second season I thought yeah do you know what I'll throw them some money because I've been playing this a lot um, and like I say I've never had to pay for a character or anything like that I've always been able to unlock them by levelling up and using the f- um, free unlock coins that you get um, to do that and the skins and those sorts of things that you unlock from the loot boxes don't actually change the gameplay or make it easier for you they are purely cosmetic so if you did just want to play for free, it's not it's not like you're missing out. Like I said, I've been playing absolutely tons of this, and spoiler alert for the summary, I absolutely love it. Um, there are so many good things about this. The motion is absolutely incredible. It's so free-flowing, it's so fast-paced, it's absolutely brilliant. And particularly when you're playing some of the kind of motion-based characters like Pathfinder, who uh, kind of shoots a zip line and shoots a kind of grappling hook so that he can zip and flip around the map. It's absolutely seamless to run, jump, shoot your zip line, flip over, slide down a hill, and then run up a zip line or something. It's absolutely incredible, and it gives that real kind of free-feeling, fast-paced motion. Um, uh, 
little tip for anyone who might pick this up and play it based on this recommendation change your controller at the beginning to make crouch the r3 button on the playstation or the right right stick click on the xbox because that that makes it even more free-flowing and fast-paced and it's absolutely worth doing um like i say there's a big strategy element to this game that perhaps there isn't as much of in the other battle royale games because the different characters kind of all have different skills and some are defensive skills some are offensive skills some are kind of support skills that help the rest of your squad and it it really kind of gives that element of um thinking about how you want to approach it and where you need to get to and whether you want to kind of defend an area tightly and let other people try and take you out or whether you want to be the guys kind of surviving just around the edge of the ring as it gets smaller and smaller or whether you want to go big guns blazing out in a ball of flames uh, or live kind of by the sword um, and I think that's that's a really kind of unique aspect of this that actually because you can adjust your characters and because you can adjust your strategy it kind of makes it more intriguing and makes each game slightly different whereas perhaps um, the likes of Fortnite can get rather repetitive and it depends a lot on whether you kind of pick up the best gun or whether you pick up the kind of armor that you need or those sorts of things there is certainly that element in this too there is an element of luck in the terms of the loot quality you pick up and things but because each character's got different skills you you can feel like your skill in using that character does make the difference whereas it might not as much in Fortnite unless you're really really good um the balance of the characters is actually very good and there is no character whilst i have my favorites and i have characters i think i play better with i don't think there's any character where it's like this is the best character or um kind of this is the best skill they do try and balance it out slightly um and it's certainly the case that you don't see a particular character as being the dominant one um, particularly not in the squad modes, maybe a bit more in the solo mode because there are certain characters who are more selfish with their specials. Um, so when that was on, you you did see Octane and Pathfinder being used an awful lot. Um, but in the squad mode, there's definitely a really good balance, which I think is good. Um, kind of the other thing that's worth noting is the kind of continued development on this game. Um, it's been pre-planned for there to be multiple seasons with each season lasting about three months. And the developers are putting in a lot of work in kind of um, having events and having special things that sort of keep you interested and make it slightly different or give you targets and challenges to to beat to get certain um, unlockable loot or similar. Um, and it's it's good that they're investing in this kind of at least in the first year um, and, and really looking at how to improve that. The map change between season one and two um and those sorts of things and so they are looking at it and they are looking at how they can improve it and change it and make sure to keep people interested which is really good um turning to the criticisms by far the biggest and i you can tell i've underlined this three times in my notes this is how much it annoys me is server stability server stability is a massive issue and um whilst it has got slightly better it is still the case that you're kind of kicked out of uh, the lobby on a semi-regular basis when trying to join a game. And it's kind of an absolute basic of an online multiplayer-only game. It's basic that you've got to have some server stability. And the fact it just doesn't is so annoying. Um, I, 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 I will recommend that you play this with friends rather than on your own. It's definitely a better experience for that. Although you certainly can just play kind of in a, a random group. Um, but the amount of times me and my friends are like, yeah, I've been kicked out again. And it's so frustrating when you're kind of ready to play, you're getting in there, you're all ready to go, and then suddenly it's like, oh, no, I've been booted, and everyone has to come out, and you have to restart the whole party, and, and it's genuinely very, very frustrating. That said, overall, the game is brilliant, and when you're playing it, it's an absolutely great game, really enjoyable. Like I say, if you can, play with friends, because... Like I said, the strategy element of this, if you're playing with friends, it makes it much, much better. And you can talk to each other and you can plan who all of your squad is going to be in advance. And those sorts of things actually really, really help. Um, I've also been told that the server matchmaking mechanic, if you're in a squad of three that's uh, predefined 
friends squad of three it only plays you with other squads like that which again it gives it that kind of real dynamic of strategy and uh, teams thinking about right well you need to be this so that if we need to run away we at least one of us can run away or if um, we need to move somewhere really quickly, if you're a Pathfinder or you're an Octet, uh, Wraith, then you can help us get across the map much, much quicker all as a squad and things. And you can actually consider those aspects and consider how you want to play, whether you want to play a kind of stealthy survival um, mode where you kind of defend little areas as you gradually get closer into the ring, or whether you want to go on a big guns blazing assault. Um Overall, as I've said, I, I absolutely love this and I've been playing it loads. Um, there's a really great community. Um, the game, I think, it's not just a load of 13-year-olds like Fortnite is now. Um, and it's kind of has a more grown-up feel to it because of the additional element of kind of the strategy and thinking about what characters you need to be and things like that. Um, it's really, really enjoyable. It's really, really fast-paced. Um, it's really well designed. The gameplay is really, really good. The controls feel really intuitive. Although, like I say, I'd change your, I'd change your crouch to that right stick to help with the slide. Um, but yeah, it's, and it's free. So go out, download it, give it a try. Um, but but it's absolutely brilliant. I've played this a little bit and found I was absolutely terrible at it. But it looks like a lot more fun than Fortnite. Um, I'm guessing that's your opinion as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so certainly so um obviously i've reviewed fortnite in this previously um and i said i really enjoyed it and i liked the kind of uh, battle royale style which was more unique at the time um but i th- i think before when i did that review it was quite early stages of fortnite and it hadn't reached the absolute pinnacle that it has now particularly among younger players and that massively changed the dynamic when there was a massive influx of 13 and 14 year olds that, that changed it, it it is good for those people as a result of that it is not good for me as a result of that and like i say and i think um apex has kind of taken that community of perhaps the older gamers who don't just want to play with a load of 13 year olds and actually want to kind of uh, play in their play their own game with their own servers um, and that's that's certainly the case that I found that most most people I think you get much less thirteen uh, year olds screaming down your headset when you play this, which is beneficial. Yes, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, big time, big time. Um, so yeah, and um, I mean, in, the other thing they have brought in um, in this season, so we're in season two at the moment, um, is uh, ranked gaming. So that you're paired with people who are of a similar level to you, uh, which wasn't in season one. They've only brought it in for season two. And I think perhaps that might be a good way of improving your skills, because obviously you play against people who are broadly of a similar level to you. Whereas uh, in the beginning, when it was just playing Apex, you never know who you're going to be paired with. Um, and you might be paired with a lot of people who happen to be really, really good, which makes you feel much worse. Whereas actually, if you play ranked for a bit, you you do see yourself improve over time. And I've noticed that. I've noticed that I win much more games on normal Apex now, now that I've played through ranked. And I've um, kind of played through and ranked myself up and got better by playing people of, that are about my level and gradually improving and working my way up. Um I now, when I go on to Apex, feel like I can hold my own and, and I win a couple of games every now and again. So um, so that, that might be a thing to do if you you felt you weren't quite as good at it, Al, is, uh, and you wanted to play it, is maybe go on ranked and, and that might make you feel a bit better about yourself. Clive, I guess you haven't played this by the fact you haven't chipped in, but it feels like you might. Um, yeah, no, I did actually. I think I played this before I went to on my travels for a bit but not loads um similar to you al i was just a bit crap and i couldn't be bothered to put the time in to get any good um, but i could tell that like you say flux the movement actually reminded me a lot of is it titanfall yes um, in yeah terms which of its fluidity isn't, which isn't a massive surprise given that this is uh yeah. Gordon and ea um <laughs> who are probably most famous for titanfall um and indeed this is apparently set within the titanfall universe there is a vague story, but obviously it's not explored through the gameplay, so you have to sort of go up and look it up if you're interested. Um, I 
picked out a little bit when I was doing my research. Um, and yeah, and this is theoretically set within the Titanfall universe. And the idea is that this is the kind of sport that the people within that universe watch, that what they watch is this kind of gladiatorial combat in the form of the Legends arena, um, with the different characters entering the arena for different reasons. Um, but yeah, so this is theoretically set within that universe, so it, it's not a surprise that the movement's kind of the same. Mm. Cool. But yeah, it definitely seemed like something that would uh, have a lot of depth to it, and it's good to hear that you've uh, got loads of time out of it. Um, yeah, I've not really been playing any games, so... I haven't really been playing it, but um, certainly the, the problem with first-person shooters is it has to be really accessible for me to get into it. So I, I think Overwatch is the last one I got into properly because it it felt like I could do something even though I wasn't that good at shooting. Is this similar? Can you be a sort of healer character? Yes, it- yeah, the, and there is a healer character called Lifeline. And I, I think I did, I did write in my notes, actually, that, that the character system makes this a kind of cross between Fortnite and Overwatch. I think that's a, that's a it's quite a good comparison in that vein, mm. that actually... If you're not that great at head-to-head first-person shooting, actually, because you could be a defensive or a support character, you can you can kind of still contribute to your squad by, like I say, there is Lifeline who can heal people uh, by dropping a heal drone, and she, when you're knocked down um, before you're killed, she can respawn people much quicker and puts a shield up to do so, um, and so you you can kind of help in that way. Um, or by if you're one of the defensive players by kind of using traps or um, gates to protect a building or protect an area um, and kind of play a defensive kind of game where you wait for people to come to you rather than the other way around. Cool. Sounds good. Um, Let's go to Al, your second. Okay, well, my second one is going to be a fairly low-key one, really. Um, It's going to be no deep analysis you know, intellect. The intellectual height has scaled in the first one, obviously, uh, and not right. necessary. I've left my pickaxe at home. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be talking about the uh, BBC Two series, uh, Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing, uh, which is currently in its second season. Um, sometimes, when you know we're watching TV, we only kind of watch um, either you know big, huge, glossy, high-end dramas. Or we watch kind of crappy kind of sitcoms. On well, not necessarily crappy, but you get what I mean. Um, sometimes though, I, I don't know about you guys, but I I just get in the mood for something that's light-hearted and gentle almost, and not necessarily mm-hmm. rubbish. Um, but um, this this one popped up last year, and it was. Um, I'm a huge Bob Mortimer fan. I mean, slightly biased. He is from my area of the world, Teesside, and he is an unashamed Middlesbrough fan, but I'm also a fan of his comedy. Um, used to love uh, Vic and Bob's Big Night Out, Shooting Stars. Uh, more recently, I love his podcast, Atletico Mints. And I'm a huge fan of Paul Whitehouse as well, things like The Fast Show um, and various other things. This show is basically about them connecting regarding their health. So uh, presumably they were mates beforehand anyway. Um, both of them have had quite serious heart conditions, so... Paul Whitehouse had three stents, whatever that means, put in his heart. And Bob Martimer had triple bypass surgery. Um, and this series is more is not really about anything, really, but it's them going out fishing in various picturesque locations around the UK. Uh, Paul Whitehouse being a fishing expert, Bob Martimer knowing fuck all about it. Um, really, just fishing, going in unusual hotels... And just chatting shit, really. Um, and it's absolutely lovely. It's it's one of those things which is... It, it, owes, a, it owes probably a debt to um, the Rob Bryden and Steve Coogan show, The Trip. Albeit this one is not fictional. I mean, who knows whether they set each other up for, get for lines, I don't know. But it's certainly not a fictionalised version of them. Um, but it, it's essentially them just hanging around as mates and... Um, it's like watching, um, well, imagine your dad or your uncle just sitting there, not really doing anything, just chat, shooting the breeze, really. And although there's nothing really that happens aside from them catching a few fish every now and again, and Bob Mortimer frequently falling over, um, it's <laughs> one of the most rewarding watches I've had in a long time. And it, it's, you know, when you get those things on Netflix or uh, where people just literally look at fires or, well, um, 
you know, they'd be on top of a train and there's nothing happening and they're just watching it and mm. it's just relaxing. That's what this show is. Um, but it, it, it's quite affecting, though. I mean, on, in the latest episode, um, they were talking about basically their their dead parents, basically, and Paul Whitehouse was talking about his mother, Anita, who, um, as it turns out, was a, a really good opera singer. And they were just kind of lamenting on how they'd lost their parents. I mean, Bob Mortimer's mum... Uh, raised him by himself after his dad died at an early age. And um, it it ends with um, a recording of Anita Woodhouse singing this gorgeous opera over the end credits. And it it is quite affecting, actually. Um, But, yeah, honestly, um, treat yourself. You know, sometimes life is hard. (laughs) You know, you've got um, no-deal Brexit, which probably means rising food prices and we'll have to eat the rich. Fortunately, I'm not rich, uh, but you know, dr- drama is coming. So, relax your soul, treat yourself. You will not regret this. Perfect. That sounds good. Actually, I might uh, give that a bit of a bit are, of a are whirl. You, are you a fan of either either of the comedians? Um, I like them. I haven't necessarily watched loads of their stuff, so probably not a big fan. But I've always found them, uh, yeah, entertaining. So it should be a good watch it sounds a little bit like um i have the, uh, it's a little bit like putting tennis on um, okay for me because i like i don't know it's just something that's on but i'm not paying all that much attention but i find it kind of relaxing just seeing people twat a ball at each other um, really so unless, think- unless Federer's playing i'm actually invested then it's a different experience but okay I mean, like I said, it's it's hard to do this one justice without making it sound like you're just going to be watching some old mm. blokes pissing around on a riverbank which is basically what it is but um <laughs> but that can be nice like com- yeah. i think sort of it sounds like the conversations are probably quite natural and stuff and i think that's they are like missing it, from if it's scripted it doesn't come across that way um mm. i mean i'm sure they I'd, probably set up some bits if you like but uh, everything's yeah. and it seems to be them it doesn't seem to be them playing a version of themselves yeah I mean, that's really good. I, 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 I'm fascinated in like people, just people's conversations. I find fascinating. So it sounds, yeah, I should give it. A yeah, watch. I've heard a few. I've heard a few interviews with them, and they said, yeah, it it, it is what it is. It is us being filmed twatting around by a riverbank, as you said. Yeah, that, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And that they've known each other for a really long time, and they they are friends, and they were friends for a long time, but they they kind of reconnected after Bob had his triple heart bypass because. And Paul kind of reached out to him and said, look, when I had my heart troubles, I knew what it was like. And if you need someone to talk to, we can go fishing. Um, yeah. and, and that was kind of, and they, and they <laughs> went and they went fishing without filming it. And then said, do you know what? This would be a great idea for a TV show, basically, and, and pitched it. And, and the BBC said yes. And I, I really enjoyed the first series. I've not watched any of the second series yet. I noticed yesterday it was on because I just caught it start. And it was like, I want to go back and watch it, watch it from the first episode rather than start here. But yeah, I watched the first series, and like you, I absolutely loved it. It's hard to explain why you like it, because like you say, it's a quite a difficult concept to explain. When you say, oh, it's just two comedians kind of fishing and talking, it doesn't sound that good. But like you say, when you watch it, it's really relaxing. And do you know what? It's funny. They're funny people, and their conversations are funny, but they can have that poignant kind of conversation as well. Um, obviously, in the first series, it was a lot about heart health and... Um, those sorts of things that the kind of poignant moments would come from. But, yeah, it's it's both funny and poignant and kind of relaxing all at the same time. Um, and I, I really like it as well, Al. I, it's, it's, a great, it's a great review. Awesome. Um, well, that leaves my final one, which is poignant but definitely not funny and definitely not light-hearted, um, okay. which is season three of Handmaid's Tale. Um, and I know Al's been watching this as well. I have. I'm yeah. not going to, with it being a TV, I'm going to... Spoil the end of season two. So if you've not seen that, um, maybe skip ahead. I'll write the times in the episode description. But I'm not going to... I'm just going to talk about what I think of season three and some minor... Just some things it's doing more as a sort of overarching comment. If you think that's a spoiler, then skip it. I won't be mentioning any specific events. Um, I have seen all 13 episodes at this point. I know the 13th one isn't aired until Sunday, but, you know, I got a... They sent me a special copy if you stick around. And I've, uh, I've watched it. <laughs> but by the time this comes out, that will have been aired. Anyway, so you've probably all seen it. Um, so, yeah, Handmaid's Tale. I probably don't need to talk all that much about it in terms of the intro. We've probably introduced it 700 times. Um, it's a kind of dystopian future drama 
um, about uh, essentially the, US, the USA is turned into Gilead, which is a sort of dictatorship where essentially women are just sort of tools uh, to make babies and do work. Um, and it's, it stars Elizabeth Moth. Al, do you know anyone else it stars off the top of your head? Uh, Joseph Fiennes, uh, Yvonne Strahovski, Anne Dowd, uh, Bra- Bradley, <laughs> Bradley Whitford. Um, yeah, that's that's what that's what I've got off the top of my head. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, at the end of season two, uh, spoiler alert: um, June kind of rescues her uh, kid and sends her off with another one of the handmaids, um, Emily. Uh, to Canada, and she decides to stay in, uh, essentially because her other daughter, um, Hannah, is still there. And uh, so this season is mostly, it kind of, it flits around Canada and um, here. I'd say it's a little bit more based in um, Gilead than probably the previous season, which I think had a bit more about what was going on elsewhere and a few more flashbacks and stuff. But um, yeah, it's it's essentially about her and what she's doing uh, in in this uh in gilead still and um i would say without uh, i kind of want to save my thoughts till the end but so i do think it's been i think it's generally thought of as the weaker season and i, I agree i think it's the first time it's it's still really really good elizabeth moth is still absolutely stunning uh she's just every scene uh, she's amazing like she's I think we've talked about it a million times, but every, you know when the camera zooms in our face, she's able to show emotions in a way that's just an incredible depth of emotion just from showing her face, which is uh, impressive. And um, disappointed to find out, apparently she's a bit of a Scientologist, someone told me the other day. It's um, true, yeah. Yeah, that's sad. Um, yeah, so the, the, the production values are still great. It's, um, I'd say maybe it's not as... I don't know whether I've just got used to it, um, it doesn't seem as stunningly, sort of breathtakingly shot as the first two seasons. I'm sure it probably is, and I've just got used to it. But it certainly there weren't any moments, uh, which there were in the previous two seasons, that kept jumping me out and going, "Oh, that that is beautiful." Um, the the lighting and stuff is still very well used, which I think the show is pretty famous for. Um, all all the performances are great. The, the Waterfords are both fantastic. Um, all that kind of stuff, and Dowd, obviously fabulous. Um, yeah, so it's. I'd say the way it's got a bit worse is it's got a little bit repetitive. There's a few things that, even if it's not the exact thing, the context of the the sort of where it happens and what's going on is the same every episode, and that kind of happens every episode. Um, and then there's, I don't know. There, there's the main thing that's bothered me is it's starting to feel a bit like uh, June, our main character, can basically just get away with anything and not. Uh, really have all that many repercussions yeah there are some but it seems like if any of the other characters did it they'd be dead and hung up on the wall by now Um, (laughs) whereas she seems to just get away with stuff which kind of takes you out of it a little bit and makes it feel a little bit um, convenient shall we say Um, is would be my main criticism of the season however I still think it's been uh, really really good it still makes I think Obviously, the first season's about the book, so that followed the book and had lots of uh, had had something to follow. Second one went off book, and I was worried it was going to be not as good. But I thought the second season was great. I think the second season was great because it linked in kind of the stuff going on there with what's happening in our world uh, and kind of where we're headed. And I think it did that really well. And that was kind of the thing that season two for me did really really well. Season three for me doesn't really have that thing that it does really well. She is a bit of a shame and it just uh, it's felt a bit slower and all that kind of stuff. But I've still thoroughly enjoyed it. I still really I think it's a fascinating kind of world that's been created and all that stuff. And I've, I was definitely hooked um, in terms of what's going to happen. Um, it's still very gripping throughout. And there's some performances, I think, this season that have really shone. Um, Commander Wallace. Do you know who plays him, uh, Al? Um, Lawrence, you mean? Commander Lawrence. Yeah. Oh, Lawrence. Sorry, not Wallace. I'm an idiot. Yeah, Commander Lawrence. Yeah. Yes, Bradley Whitford, that is, yeah. Bradley, yeah. He's, I think, coming to his own this season. I think he's been absolutely excellent, for one. And there's been some some of the other... Ca- and there's been a, a bit more depth added, again, I'm not going to spoil anything, to Anne Dowd's character, which I thought was really good. Uh, yeah, I, I thought, thought that was I really that, well done. I, I thought that was the highlight of the season thus far. Yeah, personally. definitely. And it's... Yeah, so it's, it's still doing a lot of things well. It just feels a little bit more like a series that uh, is going on for a while and people aren't sure where it's going. Whereas I thought the first two seasons felt very tight and um, less meandering. Um, and it's it's just got a little bit more of the, the feeling like a TV series rather than a film for me. <laughs> Which, as we know, I'm not all into that things that go on forever and ever. But um, 
so yeah, it would have. Um, hopefully, they don't do it for too much longer unless they've got. I know um, Atwood's actually. Is it, there's a book out this year, isn't there? Yes, set called, fifteen years after the first one, as far as I know. Yeah, it's called the Testaments. Uh, it's out in October. And um, funnily enough, I've just read The Handmaid's Tale, having not read it before. Um, just yeah. decided to give it a go, which it, it is brilliant. And the first season is pretty loyal to it. Uh, it changes certain elements, mm. but you know, probably necessarily for the TV show. Um, but yeah, the, the the next book is due out in October. I'm guessing it's going to totally go a different way to the t- TV show. I was just going to ask whether I wonder whether season four or anything is going to be kind of based on it. Or it, I mean, it could be, could be. But um, if I understand it right, June will have nothing to do with it. Um, ah, okay. So yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I'll jump in with my thoughts at this point. Yeah, yeah, go, um, go. I've really enjoyed this season still, but I, I just like you, I feel it's been not quite up to the standards of the the other the other two seasons. Um, like you said, there doesn't seem to be enough consequence for June's recklessness, and mm. um, she's become less likable as a character. Um, I mean that that is deliberate. She has obviously at some points lost the plot, and she has committed some actions which probably not really morally justifiable even if the means you know do justify the ends mm-hmm. um i think what the show i think what at this point the show is struggling with is basically wanting to have its you know it wants to keep these characters involved so like the waterfords june um but it's struggling to know what to do with them um really if the show had any balls anymore it would Maybe not cut out June, but it, it probably does need to lose the Waterfords. Because um, in, in reality, we need to see more of this world. We need to see more from the outside. Uh, if any, if anything, we might need a new story in this universe. Um, I feel that this one is pretty much going as far as it can. Um, no, I, I've still really enjoyed it. it it's still been um, shocking. It's still been you know, narratively very interesting, and the performances have still being universally good but yeah it, it is stretching credibility at this point um and i feel that if they're going to do a full season which i'm assuming they will they're going to need to make some bold choices in my opinion um but we'll, we'll see we'll see i think i think michael largely feels the same um from what i understand but um it, it's still one of the best things on tv um but it really it, it does need to I mean, it, it's getting to the point now where if they did the fifth season, it keeps going this way. It could could get boring, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because, um, the, you know, it needs to expand. But yeah, I, I can live with it for this season, and I've really enjoyed it. If I was giving the first two seasons 10 out of 10, this one would get a an 8, maybe a 7, depending on how it ends. But, you know, it's still excellent TV, but it it needs to be very careful. It's, 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 it's balancing on that line. Bloody hell, what's that? Yeah, somebody's uh, hammering outside my door. <laughs> I'm not sure what they're doing. Uh, so apologies about that. Yeah, it is definitely fine. I think, I mean, the best thing they could have done, yeah, I'd agree with you, would be different stories within Gilead and kind of like creating, completing a map almost in a jib- jigsaw puzzle way of having like one season set here, another season uh, with completely different characters but obviously that doesn't sell as well because people want the same characters etc yeah. etc um that would interest me more because i've always been more of a fan of uh just a, a season being kind of its own self-contained thing and i think it this surprised me and the, the second season was really good but i do think it's got to the point now where it's also hit that point which a lot of tv shows do for me where i'm just like it's just gone on too long um or ch- you need to change more stuff like you're saying than than you're doing you can't just keep doing the same <laughs> keep focusing on the same characters because it's just becomes unrealistic to make someone's life that interesting that you can do hours and hours and hours and hours of television on it. And yeah. it, at some point that becomes evident and you start fudging things like in this. I, I think personally, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I know that the US version of this is, is further ahead, so I don't know where it's going to go. But in my opinion, June needs to be outside of Gilead next season if you're going to keep her in it. Mm. Um, she can still be the main character, um, and I understand you're not just going to drop your your main character for this, even though maybe it needs it. Um, but she she can't be in Gilead next season, or not 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 very much anyway. 
Yeah, because I suppose oh, I guess the whole because it's she's she's in quite a tight. There isn't really that many characters within her network in Gilead, which is probably part of why it's struggling. Um, it's just there's not that much. It's very it's a very closed network, <laughs> and you don't you kind of seeing the same characters all over and over again. And there's only so much interest you can garner from that, I guess. But yeah, it's definitely still good. Definitely still worth watching, and I'll be watching uh, season four because it is pretty much the only TV show that I watch. So I will give it a blast, and hopefully they'll. Uh, take a few risks and uh yeah we'll see we'll see where things go we will um flux do you watch this at all um i don't mate no um so but it sounds it sounds really interesting it sounds good um so maybe i'll maybe i'll try and catch up yeah i mean it, it, it the first season the first season and the second season are both undoubtedly excellent but um it's yeah with co- we're saying that the third season should be viewed with caution, basically, as if I'm interpreting Clive right. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Essentially, yeah, it's it's not going to be quite up to the standard. It's still great, but it's not up to the standard of the admittedly high bar the first two have set. Uh, mm. But yeah, uh, does anyone else have? Does anyone have anything else to talk about, or is that it? Because conveniently, we're at about the hour mark. Right. Uh, well, I've got no- nothing to go over in any depth. Um, in fact, <laughs> wow, that guy's really going at it. Um, uh, no, I, in fact, we probably better wrap it up now. Um, I'm look. I'm supposed to be feeding my parents' cat while they're on holiday. I was going to feed it before the podcast, but I decided Ooh. to give myself an hour's extra sleep instead. So <laughs> we've probably got a very pissed off cat. Um, and when, whenever I'm late to feed it, by the way. It always leaves me a little present, usually some sick somewhere, so looking forward to it. Nice. I mean, you deserve that, but all right. Yeah. Well, it's only getting fed two hours late. It'll be fine. It might actually eat its food now, because what it quite often does is just licks the jelly off and doesn't eat much of the meat. Uh, Oh, cat does that, and it is... Oh, mate. So annoying. Getting no nutrition, cat. That's just sugar. (laughs) Bloody idiot. (laughs) Yeah, I was just because we have like a gravy one. Just you, you can hear it. You can hear that it's clearly just licking the gravy and not eating it. You're like, oh, you dick. Yeah. Well, what what I found was the last time I looked after it, there was one day where I forgot to go there in the evening, so I'd only fed it in the morning. So when I got there the next morning, it it had actually eaten the meat. So maybe by leaving it another couple of hours, it'll have actually got some protein. Who knows? Yeah, it would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Some animals died for you. Fucking eat it. <laughs> Exactly. Standard I'll, cat um, behaviour there, isn't it? Kill an animal and then just leave it. <laughs> I will be sure to uh, give my cat your scolding, Clive. <laughs> yeah, do. I'm happy with it. <laughs> anyway, let, let's, let's, uh, let's wrap this up, Clive, by you giving us the very formal plug time. The very formal plug time. Okay, darling. Um, this, is, this is plug time. Um, at Sticker and Cast on Twitter, you can find us, you can send us messages. I've not been on Twitter, I whinged about it last time, still not really been on. Um, but you, you go on there, because uh, I'll get a notification if you send me something and I might, I'll probably log in and, and reply um, into the depths. Uh, Facebook.com slash Podcast. we're on there. We are also on other stuff, at Stickaround, I think at Podcast on Instagram as well uh, I need to put some photos on there Stickaroundpodcast.com is our website you can get every episode, I've noticed on uh, iTunes etc, it's been deleted, I think it only stores 100 episodes or something, which is outrageous um, so there's a whole 38 episodes missing there, if you knew, if you Bastards. want then pop on the website and uh, they're all there, you can go right back to episode 1, something and I believe it's called Drug and Biscuits or something I don't know why I always remember that um, <laughs> and you can also contact us on there there's a nice little form you can put actually I need to change it because it does take you're supposed to put in whether it's films or whatever I don't really need that anymore I can just email it into any any of the podcasts and we'll answer it straight away so yeah that's good you can email stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to stickaroundpodcast.com and click on contact and there's a nice little form to fill out we'll get it either way um just go on iTunes, give us five-star reviews. That's the best thing for us, really. Every time someone does that, it does give us a little bump in listenership. So that'll be the most useful thing you could do. Um, and, yeah, obviously tell your friends, that kind of stuff. Keep subscribing, keep listening. If you've got any suggestions, email. Yeah. Love you all. Well, most of you. Is that least. formal uh, enough? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that formal enough. Um, yeah, very nice and formal, Clive. You know, it's part of the new professional uh, stick-around setup. Um <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> we've always been professional, Al. I don't know what yeah. you're saying here. Well, anyway, I'm about to go give my yeah, you, you parents feed cats cat. protein. Um, well, oh. that sentence didn't come out right at all. Um, <laughs> James Flux, what are you, you going give- to do? Um, uh, we might we might pop into Manchester and uh, get some food and do some stuff. Oh, um, sounds like a who knows? Day. Maybe maybe go to the cinema and uh, try and catch uh, the new Tarantino film. Oh, excellent! Given Clive. given your review, Clive, what are you going to do? Uh, my mum's coming up, so we might be going to IKEA to get some bedding. Um, wow, living the dream! I've you had know, my eye on some bright bright yellow bedding for a long time, and I've finally got some money, so I might buy it. You know, you're in your thirties when. <laughs> you get excited about bedding and on that bombshell uh, yeah uh, come back next bit. time guys um we'll we may have the same setup we may not we may have james cable we may have michael johnson who maybe, knows maybe david peeling maybe josh keithley who knows uh but anyway just remember to stick around stick around, stick around. bye cool Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around